Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. Got to about mm, mid January uh, when I, I did a big pro and con about playing. I, don't, I, I sort of was going to get dropped. If I stayed in this mindset, I'd probably get dropped anyway, but I'm thinking I'm giving it away. And and so I did pros of playing and the cons of playing, against playing. And I had a fool's cap page of pros and there was one con. And I went, I said, get going, you idiot. You've got to really get going. And that cleared cleared the decks and off we went again. I think not, it would have been 93. We went to England and steamrolled to England again and I was back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learnt with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we're joined by a great who, through sheer will and determination, turned himself into a world record holder. This Queensland and Australian legend took 395 test dismissals in his 119 test matches, which was a world record at the time, and he scored four test hundreds to go with it. Ian Healy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on my show. You're welcome. What a good effort, mate. Hills was an inspiration to me and all young Queenslanders growing up, and his partnership with Shane Warne goes down in Australian cricket folklore. His bowling Warney coming through into every cricket lover's home with Hills showing his genius in the way that he kept to Australia's greatest ever bowler. To go with Hills' 119 test matches, he also played 168 one-day internationals over his 11-year international career. There are so many highlights that I have of you, Hills, growing up, um, idolizing, idolizing you. But one that really stands out to me the most was your highest test score of 161 not out at the Gabba in 96-97. I was at the game as a 15-year-old and to see someone evolve their game to be able to dominate like you did in that innings was so special to watch. What are your memories of that innings in particular? Oh, I, I think it was just the, uh, how easy I felt it and found it that day. <laughs> you get out there and batted and and uh, first of all, when you're batting at number seven, you need a lot to go your way. You know, you need to be in good form and then you need the top five wickets to fall even on a good batting strip, which the Gabba was. I got out there in the first afternoon and I went, wow, how good does this pitch look? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then everything felt good. It felt easy. You know, Kirtley and Courtney uh, just, just felt like they were coming on and I was seeing it well and – and then you're able to be in good form so that, so that you can stay there longer and not do something stupid. Mm. Um, so it all was it all felt easy. That that's the main thing to me. It, it felt easy, and I was good enough that day to keep it going into mm. the next day. So it, it was a nice feeling when the West Indies weren't that scary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, especially for the times that you played against them. Um, you know the torment that they would just try to inflict on 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 you and everyone, all the, all the batsmen or everyone who batted. Yeah, absolutely. To get your own back for that time. 
yeah, if you get them on a just a slightly uneven wicket, you know, or a bit inconsistent, you know, that two balls could land in the same spot and they're just a little bit different to each other. And that's really hard when the ball's coming at you about 140 k's an hour. So, so this particular absolutely uh, uniform and it played that way and it felt good. <laughs> Well, it looked amazing. It was amazing to be able to watch. Um, Hilsey, you achieved so many incredible things um, on the cricket field. So looking back now, is there one or two highlights of your career that really stands out to you the most? Oh, yeah. I'd say um, three, Three, I reckon. Over the years, you get asked it a lot, don't you? Mm. But 1989, when we won the Ashes, mm. and people have now forgotten how, even we've forgotten how down we were um, through the 80s, um, mm-hmm. when we were decimated by England, getting beaten by England and the West Indies, home and away. Uh, then South Africa happened, um, where 18 or so of, uh, you know, high-level Sheffield Shield and first-class and international players left to go to South Africa. And it was all it was all turmoil through the 80s. So, and we happened to win. We beat England in 1989 uh, when no one was giving us a chance. So that, that was good. And... I re- what I remember about that is we didn't try to win. You know, we just tried to play. And, of course, that's how you have to be. There's no coincidence that if you've got talent, which a young Steve Waugh, a young Mark Taylor, young Ian Healy, Craig McDermott, uh, uh, an angry Merv Hughes, um, you, you know, Border, the two war boys, or Mark wasn't there by then, but, um, you know, David Boone, Dean Jones, you know, that, that's talented. And, and no one was giving the team any credit for their talent. And anyway, it all came together when we had a great mindset when we got to England um, and then blow us down, we won. You know, we were just trying not to lose a lot of days and uh, we ended up winning. And that was one. Turning around the West Indies, the West Indies didn't get beaten at home or away for 15 years. So in a series, they got beaten in tests here and there and but never lost a series for 15 years. We finally beat them in 1995. We, we really, I really would have liked to have beat them in 93 in Australia. They had a bit better team then of it and, uh, you know, some of their greats retired by 95. We, we probably should have beat them in 1995. But if you're going to turn a cycle around, you've got to try to beat the cycle. You know, the West Indies cycle ran its course. We couldn't interrupt it. We weren't good enough to interrupt a, a success cycle of 15 years. Mm-hmm. So we had to wait and do it in 1995. That was a good moment. I mean, mm-hmm. it was still a difficult thing to do over there. Um, and some outstanding performances made that happen. Uh, and then the third one, I think, is a, a test match we played in Port Elizabeth in South Africa where we were so far behind at the end of the, of the second day. Um, we, they, were, they were none for 80 or one for 80 with a lead of 190, you know, and both in their second innings. And uh, it was a green top. And so we we had to get nine wickets uh, and try to keep the score under 500. Well, the next day we went out and got nine for 70 or something, and we chased down 270, only just. Uh, that was a game that uh, we'd turned around and, and gave us a whole lot of pleasure. That, that'd be the three sort of highlighty victories our team had. Very special moments in Australian cricket um, to be for you to be you know, right in the thick of those. So, um, yeah, I remember watching um, all those very special times. Yeah, well, yeah. I think the more we talk, what are you, you'll you'll find out how lucky I've been mm. um, and, and uh, the chances I've been given and been able to hold on to 
through certain qualities probably, but uh, I've been really fortunate and, uh, you know, and then we played in a successful era because after that early 1989 win, who'd we bring in but a young McGrath and a young War. So, you know, just kept getting better through the 90s. And what you touched on there about luck, it's interesting you say that because, um, look, there's no doubt everyone needs luck, you know, be the right place at the right time, but you've also got to have the skill and the desire to be able to do everything you can to make the most of that luck that comes your way as well. And that's certainly certainly what you, what you did. Yeah, well, I guess you don't get yourself into the frame for selection if you haven't got what it's required. Mm. Right? So we've all probably got the ability and, and then whether you can translate that ability into performance when mm. you get your selection chance is the challenge uh, because you're up against a fair opponent every day you're playing and test cricket, you're up against the same opponent for 25 days in a summer. And if they get on top of you early in those 25 days, then they're, they're after you for the rest, you know. So it becomes quite a stress, as you know. So, um, you, you know, to, to get your chance and in my game as a wicketkeeper, uh, there's only one in the whole country that gets its chance. Then, you know, my skill is to keep everyone out, keep everyone else out by not leaving that team with injury and not giving anyone even a look in to show mm. people how good they might be. Yeah. So so I, I not only got my chance through a lot of luck by having the Australian captain in our Queensland squad and he knew me, mm. there's, a, there's a luck, for example. It, you know, if the Australian captain was from Perth and training with the WA squad, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got known to the Australian set up wouldn't have got picked. And then I had to, you know, I was number two wicketkeeper for Queensland with Peter Anderson ahead of me. Well, he had to get injured and he not only got injured once but two seasons in a row he had he got, he had a spell which gave them a chance to look how I translated into first-class cricket and, and, and then I was in good form. I didn't really know whether I was in good form or not because I didn't know how good you had to be or whatever. So I was just out there playing and I kept saying, Jeez, Greg Chappell's here again. Like, how good's this? You know, he watched every game I was in. He was he was around. I'm, saying, I'm thinking, how good's this? Greg Chappell's here again. And he was there to watch me. I had no idea. And, yeah. and he'd come into the dressing room and ask a question or two. And thank God I gave him the right answer. <laughs> because, uh, you know, he was, he was sussing me out. So I, I yeah. had no idea. Um, after your playing days, Hills, you've become an inspiration to all sports men and women who are transitioning out of their playing days um, as well as they can. You've had an incredibly successful career in the media as a commentator, um, reading the sport um, at a time at Channel 9 News in Brisbane, as well as being involved in a number of businesses that have had some great success. So this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats is going to be a very special one for so many reasons. So to start things off, um, I want to dig into the technical side of cricket, if, if that's okay. Um, through your sheer hard work, you turned yourself into one of the greatest wicket keepers in the history of cricket. So from a keeping perspective, was there one or two specific technical components that you developed and once you nailed it, you knew you were going to be consistently at your best? Yes. Um, well, I'd be consistent, I reckon. I reckon being consistent at a, at a good level mm. is the key so that your worst day wasn't a disaster. Mm. So you're putting very consistent, good performances on the board. And then when you're at your best, it's just upside. And yeah. and, you, and it's a, a magnificent day to remember. Yeah. Um, so what I learned was 
uh, over, I think it took me two or three years in the Australian team to learn this, how, how simple you have to keep it. Um, cricket's quite a difficult uh, job, which looks easy on TV to people, um, but it, it just looks like two batsmen going out to play cricket on a lovely green field, doesn't it? Well, hitting a nice red ball. Um, <laughs> you don't understand when you're, even as a commentator, you don't really remember. One of them's tearing himself in half in, in nerves and stress, and one of them's trying to survive to stay in the in the team. It's it's a it's a really um, mind game. Your brain goes racing, so mm. you have to stop your brain, and and you sort of on the days where your best best days, I reckon you fool your brain into feeling like it doesn't care. Mm. You're just going out to to watch the ball and hit it, and don't worry that you're playing for Australia, that you're representing your family, and you and you. Well, as soon as you think any of those other things, you're gone. It it, it becomes it's hard even when you keep it simple. And then if you make it mentally even harder, you're in real trouble and you, you won't last. You won't um, be able to stay at the crease long enough. I definitely won't be able to wicket keep with quality for six mm. hours of the day. Mm. So you've really got to ration out very, very good, simple plans. And I think through, through hard work and lots of catching and everything, and then you work out, why am I doing all this practice? It's supposed to be to make me a better player. Mm. So not to be good at practice. But work out, okay, how good this has got to feel at practice so that when I get under the stress on Friday when the test starts, it feels like I've done it 100,000 times before, that the stress is less. I'm not thinking, I'm not hoping bad stuff doesn't happen. All I'm thinking is simple plans of watch the ball and move because it's mine. And that real simple, set that up early in every session and then for, you know, the last hour and a half of a two-hour session, I can put some energy into my teammates and uh, just check on how the bowlers are going and feeling, talking to the captain as the vice captain, if that's what I was at the time, um, or just keeping a, an ear and, a, and a, a voice going in the field. You know, sometimes you've just got to set out to have some fun and that's how you create success. Uh, and cricket, everyone says, oh, God, don't you get bored out there? Well, yes, we did, didn't we? So... You did get bored at times, yeah. but that's when you make a mistake. So yeah. you can't afford to get bored for long. If you're starting to get bored as a group, um, a wicket keeper or the vice captain is a good one to pick that up and just mm. set about stuffing around, make make some fun out there and see what happens. But don't get bored and make a blue. Absolutely. And you're talking about the, the mental side of things there, which is – incredible you can define it like that because what you're saying there is absolutely right around just understanding if you – for you to be – best or consistently be at a, at a high level, you've got to shut out all the thoughts around anything else apart from my skill and executing my skill to the best of my ability. As soon as you start to think about other things like I want to, I want to play well today. Once if I get like, if I don't, I'm under pressure, if I don't perform today or, you know, other fact, other factors that are, that are there, then it does, you're getting, your, you're getting your own way. So like from a, yeah. from a keeping, from a keeping perspective, as the bowl was running in, what was the sort of thought process, the really simple thought process that you had to be able to know that you're going to react and move um, to the best of your ability? Yeah, well, I've practiced it. I've done, mm. I'm feeling good in my body height. So leg okay. strength and posture, I'm able to hold it. So there's a physical element to that, making yeah. sure you can hold that lowish power position. Mm. And, the, and then it's, so you need confidence in that. And then just watching the ball, not thinking, shit, I hope he hits this. I hope he doesn't nick it. 
um, or or you get caught going down the leg side, but then the edge from the leg cutter goes right side and goes in between you and first slip. So you can't afford to open your positions up. You've just got to watch the ball and watch what happens. Don't predict and then your mind will start to go with that. They'll, they'll start to think your prediction's right and your footwork just gets a bit sloppy, half half a split second off and you, you've had to dive for a catch you could have moved for and you're not in great shape to dive for it and it's hard to hang on to. So, so you go back a level, a whole total level. It's a physical confidence and strength in your power position yep. and then watch the ball and just trust that you're going to be good enough. You, yep. And... And that's one ball. You've got 599 to go, you know, for the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if, you're not thinking, if you're not thinking perfectly and very, very simply and short, so a wicketkeeper should probably think for about, I don't know, three seconds from release to the bowler. You start to think about your physical nature as you're getting down into your crouch and then, bang, it's hard for about three seconds when the bowler's released the ball and it's either come through to you or hasn't. And then you've got to get, out of that really fierce zone and uh, relax a bit, look like sort of switch down a bit um, and then switch back up 600 times a day. Um, and if you're facing a bloke like Shane Warne, I've just felt for the, the batters all the time, God, <laughs> Warney would be sort of saying things like, Gee, you're playing well today and or that, that was a good shot. Now, I'm going to bowl you exactly the same ball, all right? And if you don't play the exactly same shot, that good shot you've just finished, um, I'm never going to bowl you the ball here again, all right? And and so the batter's, he's going, well, I've just hit a great shot, but now he's not going to do that, is he? Surely not. Like, he's double-guessing himself and double – and and then that's one ball. Warney's going to deliver 200 for the day. And if you let that get into your psyche, you're in real trouble. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's it was great to be part of um, a successful time. So, and, and with your switching on and switching off, were you were you really conscious about making sure that you especially did switch off, so you could you could concentrate when you needed to for a whole day? Yeah, um, uh, on the bad days, you have to consciously do it. Mm. When you when you've set up a session very well and really got engaged with the deliveries, and you've got your footwork going, your rhythm feels good. Um, your body and brain will take it over for you for the rest of the day if you and then come out after lunch and you set up again to 10 or you know three or four overs of having to do it consciously Mm. get your movement confident and right and your brain will take it over for you for the day and that's what makes an easier day Um, but if you if you just can't get it and you have to do it consciously Mm. you you know you you need to be fit enough to get through the whole day because nothing surer than than at 5 30 you've got half an hour to go and you're praying to get off the field that's when you're going to make your blue. Um, and, and so really you'd like to get into a zone where it's happening for you. Um, but if you have to battle, um, you, then you fight your way to lunch and then try to settle and get back to a very simple plan, which is two or three statements that you say to yourself that'll click you into what you need. And, you know, that's what took me probably three years in the Australian team to just to learn, put some negative thoughts and pressure aside with a very strong plan which click you into gear. And uh, it's a great feeling when the plan's just just happening for itself all day as a keeper. You know, six or six and a half hours of 
of quality when you're thinking, geez, how am I doing this? This is unreal. You know, it's, and, and when there's two spinners bowling one, one at each end and the wicket's getting a little bit unpredictable and, you, and you're getting it done, it's, it's great fun. But, but, yeah, you've got a lot of training and a lot of experience that's working for you. Yeah, and when was there a moment where you realised that, that it really clicked that those couple of things that you put into your mind were the right things? Was there a moment that really stands out as like, okay, maybe it, it wasn't a great day the day before or and you just said, okay, well, I've got to make an adjustment here and I need to put these things into my mind to be able to be consistently my best? Yeah, well, really you'd, you'd want to get things out of your mind Mm. And the, if you've if you've settled on a plan that works for you, so it might be mm. three statements you make to yourself yep. as a batter. It might be bat up ball or whatever. My, mine, when I was keeping up to warning, for example, or when we had two spinners operating, had to be really simple. You know, it was watch the ball, move, and stay down. And if my brain believed those, the days my brain believed those, Geez, that was easy. It was really easy. But then if Sachin Tendulkar, for example, is not out 80 and they need uh, their two for 150, needing 250, you know, the natural tendency as a keeper is to say, oh, geez, I hope I don't miss anything. I hope Warnie, if he pitches one way down leg and I miss it, it's going to be, it's not even my fault. It's so difficult. You know, you get you twisted, you twist it up. That's when you've got to get, you've got to get aware that you're thinking the wrong stuff. Yeah. And just get back to one ball at a time and and then look back at five o'clock or six o'clock or whenever that game's been won or lost and see how you went, you know, and uh, it's a pleasant surprise a lot of the times. Um, I, I think you talked about switch on, switch off. I used, I used to always do switch on, switch up, switch down. Okay. So it's a, you know, we never really switch off. So don't put that language into your head, yeah. just switch down. So then, then switch up, switch down. Um, and I think there's statistics out there or theories out there that we've got a certain amount of pure concentration in any given day. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's like an hour. And so if I'm going to play, if I'm going to play, if you're batting uh, for you blokes or we could keep to 600 balls, I've got to ration that out over, over um, six hours, you know. And, and if I'm tossing and turning at five o'clock in the morning in bed, you know, getting stressed about today's performance, what what will happen, what will happen. I'm already eating into my hour. And so you've got to be really – and what I used to do there is just get up. I'd get up and go downstairs in the car park and do something, either a little jog or do a bounce ball, a golf ball against the wall and just practice stuff that I'm going to need for today, um, not stress about it. Um, and, and so another statement is the power of positive thinking. Um, which I don't necessarily agree with because you can overthink and it can waste your energy. So it's it's sort of uh, the power of positive doing is a lot better. If you're starting to stress and, and chew up some energy, then go and do something and uh, it'll be much more constructive for your day's performance. Did you discover this on your own or did you have <laughs> – were you working with someone? Because that is, that is incredibly profound what you work through and and – executed when you when you were playing because a lot of people and even me to an extent I didn't I wasn't consciously sort of understanding all this information to be able to you know pull myself into the right mindset but also if I was starting to churn and burn way too much energy and understood that you only got a certain amount of energy per day that I had a coping mechanism to be able to actually just pull myself out to not to make sure that I went into the game and a day's play with as, as much mental energy as I possibly could yeah, the um, uh, I, I like 
you know, but, you know, and on the other side of the coin, I couldn't bat. I'd cheer myself to bits. My head would be racing everywhere. And when I'm batting, I'm nervous and I'm scared. <laughs> I couldn't. It, you do have to have a level of talent and ability that'll stand you in good stead. Mm. So, so, um, and so batting was a, a bit of a lottery for me. Um, but, but, um, oh, did I learn it? Uh, yes, I, I was. Um, I studied sports science and sports psychology when I became a physical education school teacher. Is that right? Um, there you go, okay. And went through yeah. college. And we used to we used to study the, the diaries of good athletes like uh, Daley Thompson stands out to me uh, the great uh, pen heptathlete or pentathlete whatever he was, um, and how he'd construct his diaries and enable him to review today's performance and and improve tomorrow's um, those sorts of things. Um, so in those subjects, I'd reckon I learnt a, a fair bit of this and and took it into my preparation for my cricket and. I was an over-performer or over-preparer for club cricket, you know. Yeah. I, I, and, then, and then I got my chance to go from almost club cricket to test cricket and that stood me in good stead, you know, um, a, a, a lot of that knowledge. But still it took, as I said, I reckon three years to feel a valuable part, two to three years uh, to feel a valuable part of the Australian setup. Um, and then you talked about a, a uh, a moment was there a moment that things clicked and I did have a moment that I've always remembered and I was playing for Norse against Wynnum and uh, a long day of wicket keeping to spin which is quite rare in club cricket yeah, absolutely and I remember crouching down behind the stumps and sort of hearing the my plan that my words watch the ball move stay down but I didn't say it. It, it. it didn't come out of my mouth. So my, my brain was now in tune and talking to my body. You know, it was, it was, and I went, hey, I think that's concentration. You know, you didn't really have to concentrate in a club game. You, you just get through a day easy enough, you know. But it clicked on me that day. And I reckon I was 21 years of age and uh, I, I thought, oh, that's concentration. And that's where that started, you know. I then had to set about try to duplicate that the next week or, you know, in club cricket, it's hard cricket because you get one keep or one bat every fortnight and you've got to try to do all the things you remember from two weeks ago. So, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that, that was a moment for me, um, a club game against Wynnum. It's brilliant, mate. It's um, it's incredible how you can articulate this because some people aren't, can't always articulate exactly why, you know, what worked. And plenty of cricketers, it's no, no good for them. It's no yes. good for them yeah. to know this sort of depth of information. So true. But I'm I'm what's called a uh, enforcer thinker, so mm-hmm. uh, very goal orientated. Um, I know what I'm trying to achieve on a- any particular day, um, and then I'll review to say, you know, I can absorb a lot of information. Whereas mm-hmm. you've we've all had teammates that by this time in this conversation, you're, you're finding it great, right? There'd be others mm-hmm. saying, "Come on, move on." Move yeah. on, they're getting itchy and they're trying to move out of the, get out of the room and get on with it. They, they don't need like a Mark War, Andrew Simons, Jimmy Marr. They, they just can't yeah. sit through information. So mm. They're a natural flair type player mm. and a team's got to have it all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, from a keeping up to the stumps perspective, because that was something to be able to do it to, to Warney in particular, just in all conditions, from a technical component, you said a couple of those sort of key thoughts were one, you know, keeping low, watching the ball. But and when you're 
like in the in the lead up to a game, was there like one or two things that you just continued to groove every time you, you practiced, and then in the game you just reinforcing it because you knew if those things were in place, then you're going to be able to react and move to the best of your ability. Yeah, there yeah, definitely. You you just had to really perfect your basics mm. when you're going into um, a match in Mumbai or or somewhere that. You know, sometimes in England, sometimes Adelaide, actually, if the footmarks got quite uh, big in Adelaide, it was a difficult game. When Warney starts going around the wicket and landing mm. into those holes, aiming at them, and we all know his greatest quality was his accuracy. He'd hit the bloody kings all the time. <laughs> and it's some are going to slide down legs, some are going to rip back, and some are staying low, some are jumping. So to, to cope with the pressure of that situation, I have to go into that day pretty confident in my basics and my basics are absolutely watching the ball so you know what's supposed to happen when the mm. ball hits the pitch. <laughs> then I've got a, my, my physical body height has to be low and strong so that I'm in a position to watch the ball. I sort of know what might happen but I've then got to watch what does happen. Don't go mm. predicting and, and otherwise you get yourself out of, out of um, position and then react to if you're watching what happens and then your technique's good and you're in a power position, you'll react. You, you'll catch things and you go, shit, how did I do that? You know, so um, so you absolutely perfect your basics, which you're going to need when the pressure comes on with inconsistent bounce or inconsistent spin or big spin. So um, quite often I see two wicket keepers, if they're preparing for a match like that, let's say, they're going to India, an Indian tour or Pakistan tour or whatever, they go and get a rough area of the pitch um, roughed up and practice with that. To me, that's wrong you, you, because you're not giving yourself perfect basics. If you're practicing mm. things jumping up everywhere, mm. your, your rhythm is out. It's, and, and then you start looking at that rough patch and, and you, you, you're all hard and jumpy, you know, rather than mm. being supremely ready to react um, when you see something happen. Not don't You end a little bit of that practice, but mm. really the smoother the pitch you can practice on, perfect your basics, you're going to be in good shape when the pressure comes on. That's great advice. <laughs> you remember we had those shiny uh, yeah. cement pitches up at Allen Borderfield? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's where I'd practice. If I'm going to okay. Sydney where it really spun a lot, I'm, I'm practicing on that shiny <laughs> concrete so that my – my body height and basics are perfect. Great advice, mate. Um, Hills, you were exceptionally fit during your playing days. Um, what fitness regime did you find work best for you? Was it cricket specific or was it more general fitness? Um, I think uh, general fitness, um, not overdo the beach muscles, um, mm. which are the, you know, your pectorals and, you know, those big ones you got. Biceps. Um, yeah, biceps. <laughs> Um, but I, uh, I would just do relevant strength on areas of that I need. You know, lower mm. back, um, bum, quads, hammies, and ankles and knees are all the all the support structures around them. Yeah. Um, and then do uh, a lot. Our era used to do a lot of fifteen minute run. They were our time trial, fifteen okay. minute runs. Um, and so, you know, I do that type of running, twenty to twenty five minute runs. And if I if I had a whole day off or, or you know, pre-season, I'd probably do two a day if I'm working from home, just go out for two runs a day at that type of level and, and always measure it, always measure how far you went or how fast you were going, um, always. And 
it was a nightmare. You know, you, you sort of wreck yourself or put yourself under so much pressure every freaking time you went out for runs. <laughs> well, I can't I just run. Yeah. Go run for somewhere and get home, you know. But it always had to be a competition, so so it was it was stressful and and tiring. But uh, that that and then you know general exercises and what have you. Cricket and strength and conditioning in cricket definitely underplays in wicket keepers all our sideways movement. We might have we might have catching drills for an hour. Uh, where you work with another wicketkeeper or someone hitting your catches, and you practice moving to your right, moving to your left, in a low power position. You know mm. where you're using your quads. So I haven't met a S and C um, person be able to equate that to a gym session, for example. So above your hips, above your your waist, what are we? Got? We got forty kilos, maybe. So we've done an hour's work, or let's say even half an hour's of high intensity sideways work. With forty kilos, we're, we're lifting on our legs, you know. And then, then they used to say, "Right, I'm into the gym, you bikes. What? We've already done our session." So, so yeah, that, that, that was cricket specific. A good yeah. level of fitness where you work under pressure and under fatigue with your wicket-keeping drills, that was a lot. It, it contributed a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that people have to realise because it's definitely moved. Um, it's pushed away at times from what you said there around doing your cricket-specific skills, and that's a good, a very strong workout as it is to then go, well, now it's time to go into the gym and we've got to, we've got to work on you know, these different you know, exercises. That. Well, hang on. I've been able to do very specific um, movement and develop my um, my strength and my fitness in my very specific mm. movements that I need in a game um, to be able to execute my skills consistently under pressure. Now you want me to go and do these other things, which it's actually more chance of maybe hurting me. Yeah, especially if it's wrong. I, I, I was quite impressed. Um, I reckon two years ago I saw at the National Cricket Centre in Brisbane here, uh, the boys go through a weight session in the mm. gym there, and I was quite impressed that it was quite relevant. They'd gone mm. away from... Uh, although I didn't see many of the fast bowlers, but where they lift, you know, deadlift and really work on their core and their structure as they're lifting quite heavy weights. Mm. But it's a lot of uh, lighter weights with one-legged, you know, squat mm. steps and those sorts of things. I, I thought it was quite quite good, actually. So yeah. hopefully it's continued that way and we can keep our players on the field and fast, fast, fit and healthy, you know. Yeah. If you're a fast bowler, be fast, but stay on the field. Yep, exactly. Get your body used to doing what it needs to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Hills, you only missed one test during your entire test career, which is just, it's crazy to think that was possible. Um, how did you manage to do that? And what were the techniques that you used to be able to continue to be out there day after day? Mm. Uh, you had to have an unbelievable uh, desire to be out there. Mm. Um, and, that desire for me probably stemmed from having fun with a good team, mm-hmm. you know, being in a team where I really wanted to be out there and, and playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do uh, play with some injuries that you could possibly get ruled out with, but if if you could if you can function and you're going to play, mm-hmm. you're you play and don't be on the bench all week during mm-hmm. a test match. You you decided to play. You just deal with your niggle the way you've got to deal with it. But we were able to make more personal decisions to play or not to play. They gave us a bit more responsibility than in your time and now um, that they'd sort of a doctors there with the team now. He, he can't let you play because it's his, it's his uh, liability maybe to, to diagnose and, and let you play. So, so 
we could play a bit more with injury. Uh, we were allowed to. Um, we lied a bit harder. <laughs> Probably told a few fibs. No, I'm yep. fine, mate. I'm fine. Yep. McGrath. What about yep. McGrath? Never better. How you going? Yeah, never better. Yeah. Yeah, ne- never better, mate. Never better. <laughs> oh, God. Please. So, so we could get away with that. Um, oh, no, just stay as – I think that fitness you talked about, you know, you don't need to be that fit to play cricket. You know, um, so but the the benefits of being fit as a cricketer are one you can play with pain better, I believe you can cope with some discomfort and still get your job done, um, and you will recover from injury quicker and better. Um, and they're the they're the things for me that fitness meant really. Um, and then of course for long periods and, and uh, whether that be for the batsman, the bowlers, or the wicketkeeper, then you know being able to sustain pressure for long periods, sort of being fit helped you with that, I reckon. What you said there around, um, because there was no you know, real team doctors or anything on tour when you were there, They so everyone, the captain and the coach just trusted your what you were saying. If you said, look, I'm, you know what, I'm right, I'll be okay, I'm never better, as Pidge would say, but I'm, I'm okay, then they trusted you, you go, you know what, okay, you've put your hand up to play, then we expect you to just do everything you can to make sure that you give us the best of your ability. Whereas nowadays it's taken, it's a lot of the time it's taken out of your hands. So it's like, which has moved in my way to articulate that for me is they've take, they don't trust the athlete now. They don't trust the cricketer now to go, well, you can make your own decision or whether you actually feel that you're right or not, whether you feel like you're going to let your teammates down if I actually go in and hurt myself or whether I'm just going to be able to, you know, be there with my teammates because I want to play. And that's the one thing yep. that it, it does disappoint me now that the, the trust has gone out of the game where the person who really it makes is the only person who it affects is one, the person who potentially gets injured during the game, but also you as that individual, you don't want to let your team down. Yeah, that, that's right. That's the greatest pressure then. If you've made a decision that you can do your job and you don't get it done, look out. There, there's serious consequences. So it was a serious decision to make. Yep. I, I look at Starkey, you know, um, and he's, what, what is he, my nephew-in-law? Yep. And and he's had, he's had a, I think, a couple of Boxing Day tests taken off him, didn't he? And, and a Lord's test because they suspected he might break down. <laughs> I'm like, what? So, ridiculous. So we need, yep. I, I think it's... I think it's uh, lawyers, you know, lawyers have come into the game that a player can sort of say, well, he made, he made me play and I'm going to sue the doctor or I'm going to sue for loss of earnings. Or, well, there's that, that um, litigation mm-hmm. in sport now being an occupation and I, I don't like that. Um, I wonder yeah, yeah. if a waiver could, could be signed or, you know, I, I take full responsibility for mm-hmm. everything that's going to happen to me but I wish to play. Um, and, you know, the, yeah, I think if Mitchell Stark is going to play 100 tests, he's going to have to play till he's about 55. So, <laughs> so you know, the, yeah. game, the game has sort of said, right, it's our responsibility now to get you a long career, right, rather than the individual. In our day, it was our responsibility to get it. If we wanted to play 100 tests, we, we'd work out our plan with our physio and with, with all our staff that we had. But... We could do it now. Oh, geez, it's it's a very hard thing to play a hundred tests if you're a, you know, one of the endurance boys. I think mm-hmm. the batters will probably still get it, get there, but the bowlers get hammered with rotation and resting in case they might break down. You know, I completely agree, and that it's it just it blows me away that 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 the the individual who in the end that's the it comes back to them. The other one is exposed 
to the media, to the not achieving what they want to achieve. They're the ones who have really come, the buck stops with the, the individual. Because look, you've been doing it since you're a young kid. Your dream was to be able to do what you're doing. And then you've got some people who are around the system who are making decisions that affect you. <laughs> For the good of what, we're just dragging dragging Starkey and Paddy Cummins and, and uh, Josie Hazelwood out over long periods so that Australian cricket can be, you know, strong for long periods, but what's that doing for them? You know, not enough. I don't think it's doing enough. And that's why they're not becoming heroes. You know, this is probably one of the best bowling attacks Australia's ever had. Mm -hmm. And, and they're not, they're not getting in our hearts often enough. They got to steamroll around the world. They should be, they should be piling up everywhere around the world. Mm -hmm. And they're not allowed to, too often for my liking either. The only person that helps is the people with, who've got the jobs who are making who are making those decisions, which is just yeah, madness. And there's a, there's a lot more of them these days than there was. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Hills, you've now carved out an incredibly successful career in the media. Um, so, from what you know now, would you have your, would you have approached the media in a different way while you're playing? No, not really. I, I was fine. I was uh, open. Uh, so. So uh, I, I wouldn't know if you had to ask me two years before I finished, would I become a commentator? I would have said mm. no, but I never okay. sort of, uh, I was always kind to the media mm. and available. So, uh, you know, whereas some, sometimes the media organizations, they sort of judge it. They'll, they'll sort of say, well, why, why does he now want to become a commentator? He's mm. been mean with his words for the last five years, you know, yeah. declining interviews, et cetera, et cetera. So, I was doing all the right things as a player um, mm-hmm. towards the media um, and so they, they like that and they make you an offer. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, having said that, my media career might be over. What I, <laughs> well, I was with nine and they lost the rights. <laughs> and, uh, 20, 20 years with nine, one year with Fox and then um, it's sort of finished. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Another, another thing to, to be able to go into that commentary team is another slice of fortune, you know, for, mm-hmm. for me, you know, to, uh, to, to have that long non-interrupted career and then go into the commentary box where mm-hmm. you use all the experience and, you do, and in a mental way and a, a communicative way mm. rather than physical training anymore uh, for 20 years. Pretty good. It, it was a good run. Absolutely. Well, gosh, the experience that you've had across various aspects of, of TV, gosh, that'll instill you in, in anything anything that you do, whether it is in the future again in the media or you know, other things you do because that's an incredible skill to be able to develop and have. It was a bit of a challenge and I would pick the brains of Richie Benno a lot um, over dinner or whatever and and he'd sort of say, you know, there's nothing surer than this is the hardest job you'll ever have if you ever got into a hosting role like he used to do on Mm -hmm. his own, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, His brain, he he was lucky he had a really clear playing face Mm -hmm. and not chaotic face, you know, because in his earpiece he's getting so many instructions of where we're going next as he's got to concentrate on what he's saying now. I'm saying something, I'm listening, and I'm thinking ahead. And and he could keep his face straight, mm-hmm. whereas I'd be squinting, I'd be squinting, and oh, I didn't quite hear that. And it would be just chaos every day. Yeah. But when he told me that's the hardest job you'll ever tr- attempt, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, sure, Richie, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. You're really big, big noting yourself here. But he was right, he was true. And when you're on your own, it's, a re- it's really hard because you're on camera the whole time, so you mm-hmm. can't let on that you're not seeing hearing a message or whatever but but now there's always two so a camera can go off you 
and mm. you can sort of talk through the other camera. You can make signals to the producer and director down in the truck as to I, I didn't hear that. I, I didn't hear that message where, while the other bloke's talking on, yeah, okay. on his camera. So yeah. it's a lot easier these days than Richie had it. But, uh, yeah, good, very, very good challenge. You know, you have good days and bad days or sessions uh, like you did as a player mm. where you talked too analytically or too flippantly, you were taking the mickey too often. and But you just had to be aware of who am I targeting this to? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a child? Is it a young cricketer? Is it a parent at this stage? Is it an elite player who's sitting there listening? And you, you do target certain comments in certain periods of play to that type of viewer. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it can annoy some. It can annoy the others, you know. The, the elite player... When you're talking to a, a mother, really, you've got a mother who's walking past the TV and you're trying to hook her in for mm-hmm. four more balls than she would have watched normally, you know, the elite player sort of says, oh, geez, he, he talks really simple. You know, mm-hmm. he makes it sound way too easy or blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. so you've annoyed them and then, then you go and talk to them for a while next day or whatever and the mother goes, oh, geez, cricket's complicated, it's too hard, <laughs> I'm, I'm off. So, you know, yeah. you've got to get that balance right. It's a... It's a good challenge. Mm. That's for sure. It's gosh, sounds there's a lot of moving parts there that everyone like. Gosh, yeah, I suppose I haven't thought about it that much, but gosh, until you're in it, you don't realise how complicated and how many moving parts there are. Yeah, well, well, you Mm. can you cannot be aware of it and just pile in, like Mm. keep doing the same stuff, (laughs) or you know, day after day after day, or you can vary. Your target mindset: who, mm. who, who really should be enjoying this bit of cricket now, um, and and talk to them. So it's a challenge. The getting the balance right is as hard as uh, and as challenging as playing in, mm. in the days in a day. But but uh, yeah, good. Another another good thing to go to. Yeah. Um, did the media and public scrutiny ever affect you um, during your career? And your and your potential performances, and if it did, what were the techniques that you that you used to be able to deal with the scrutiny? Uh, my general uh, answer would be no. I mm. didn't do anything but help me. Mm. Um, I got a couple of fortunate um, articles written early in those three years where I was really learning, mm. be, because I came, I was basically a clubby that got thrown into Test cricket, you know. Mm. So, and then the honeymoon finishes, it's all fun and you're just giving it your best and then you start thinking too much and and the scars start opening up. But, but, uh, you know, I got an article written right at a right time once. Uh, It was by Greg Chappell that finally, and I was feeling a little bit vulnerable. My form wasn't great and my confidence was down a bit. This would have been early 90s. And there was an article written that I read, you know, got lucky that I read it, you know, got to see it, picked up that that paper in Sydney one day Mm. and it said that the greatest thing about this summer is that for once in the last five years we haven't got to worry about a wicketkeeper, you know, i.e. he's he's a lock in for next year. And blah blah blah. Whereas I'm thinking, shit, if I have another bad game here, I'm gone. You know? So that gave me a bit of confidence and a bit of boost, you know, right at the right time. So that helped me. Um, the only time I stressed and had a bad summer was about 1993. I was I, I stumped Brian Lara, which was proven to be not out. My gloves hit the stumps and not the ball. Um, and you know, we didn't have 
um, you know, third umpire then to have a look at it. The umpire came in and where I'm saying, I don't, I know my gloves hit the stumps. I'm not sure about the ball. Mark Taylor said, yeah, well, I, I saw your gloves hit the stump. Yep. Brian Lara's lying on the, on his guts, looking straight at me and going, come on, Hills. And I said, mate, I, I was rolling over. I didn't even see where the ball went. The umpire says, Brian, the ball hit the stumps. I saw the ball hit the stumps. You're out. So we're all lying around, sitting, standing around going, oh, all right. And we never really got a chance to, to um, get to the bottom of that because at the end of that test, Merv, Merv Hughes uh, got suspended or did something on the last day and that was the headline from that test. You know, We never got back to telling my side or our side of the story on that, on that first day. So the pressure then built up. That was in Brisbane, the first test. So the pressure all summer built up and I just didn't enjoy that summer. Crowds were giving it to me and media, were, you know, there was a credibility issue and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it got to about mm, mid-January uh, when I, I did a big pro and con about playing. I, don't, I, I sort of was going to get dropped. If I stayed in this mindset, I'd probably get dropped anyway. But I'm thinking I'm giving it away. And and so I did pros of playing and the cons of playing, against playing. And I had a fool's cap page of pros and there was <laughs> one con. And yeah. I, went, I, I said, get going, you idiot. You've yeah. got to really get going. And that cleared, cleared the decks and... <laughs> Off we went again. I think not, it would have been 93. We went to England and steamrolled to England again and I was back. So it, it was – I wish I had done that exercise a lot earlier, but but uh, it was a stressful summer, which I didn't like. It's a great technique to be able to actually work your way through it instead of getting totally engulfed in it and then your performance goes down and you end up, you know, end up getting dropped and you stop playing. So Yeah, well, you just get tired of drinking too much. <laughs> trying <laughs> to drown cry, your sorrows. Yeah. Your- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I know the, I know the feeling. Money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. Yeah. It worked out pretty quickly that how much I loved it. So yeah. get going, get up, yeah. get going. Yeah. Uh, this is going to go, get into um, other aspe- aspects of um, your life away from cricket. And I believe this is one of the most important life skills that most of us don't get much education on throughout our lives. Uh, but managing and investing our money that we make um, whatever, whatever that is, whatever level that is, um, as well as we possibly can, is so integral to making the most of what we got. So, from what you know now, would, would you have done things differently from in, an investment wealth generation point of view? And I'm talking about whether that's property, shares, and then we'll also, you know, talk about the um, your business entrepreneurial side of things as well. Yeah. Um, once again, we had it simpler than you, for example, with all the money bags you must have just under your desk there. You, you know, we didn't have much. We, we didn't get paid much. Yeah. And so, it, you know, we had a very simple plan that I, I remember David Boone telling me it uh, in the early 90s and Booney retired probably mid to late 90s. Mm. Um, if you can own your house by the time you finish playing, that's a great effort. That's great. So that was as simple as it was. You know, mm. Craig McDermott, uh, who was younger than me, took me to his accountant when I first made the Australian side and it was in the late 80s and one of my regrets probably would be he handed over a little post-it note to me, um, said, listen, if I can give you one advice, you should get into these, you know, and they were shares, right? And I said, oh, geez, I don't understand shares or I don't know, I don't do shares. And 
he probably should have done it for me, this mm. accountant, but I hadn't sort of commissioned him as my accountant yet, so he probably didn't want to push. But they mm. were Commonwealth Bank and oh. Westpac shares oh. at about $2. <laughs> and I sort of said, oh, no, no, do shares. <laughs> so that's a bit of a regret. <laughs> but, um, no, we, yeah, so our plans were simple, you know, mm. um, and then... Yeah, um, work with an accountant all the time and a financial advisor. And, mm. and re- I, my my, my um, advice around that to young players would be to mm. ask questions mm. and, and get engaged. Don't let mm. your manager do too much. Um, don't let your manager do little chores for you that you should really be doing, like paying bills and stuff like that. Um, there's way too many footballers I know. I don't know of any cricketers that that are a, a little bit uh, lazy slash complacent with that sort of stuff. But learn the skills of life and um, do as much as you can yourself uh, mm. and so that when you are, when it is time to make some decisions, you, you sort of understand and you're coming from a position of knowledge. That they'll, be, mm. they'll be educated decisions and, and punts at times with, with a fair bit of knowledge. So... So hopefully cricketers are more responsible than 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 lazy. Yeah, but that's the thing that well, they cricketers need to because I've you know know from my own experience alone, let alone you know some of the guys that I played with that like I know I was I didn't educate myself enough on on investment and understanding the sort of financial literacy component. It's only been the last sort of four years where I really started to research and dig in. So I was a more um, informed decision instead of just being I was passive and allowed people to make decisions on my behalf that I didn't know anything about and I wasn't wise enough to be able to actually understand what they were doing so I could maybe just ask a, ask a few questions ask the right questions um, and the decisions that were made have you had any have you had any bad ones I, I avoided one <laughs> I avoided one um, just because of the um, I got a, a financial advisor help me to invest into just some, a general sort of managed fund. And then this, this financial advisor then moved over to Storm Financial and he wanted me to come across into what he was doing at Storm Financial. And I was like, look, I've already, you've already just invested me in, in the share market, which I know nothing about, but you know, I'm not going to move across. Sadly, the people who got caught up in the Storm, Storm Financial side of things just you know wrecked havoc with so many people, which is tragic. Um, and that's why after that happened- they were certainly talking it up too, weren't oh, they? Oh, big the time. Well, they only talked up the upside. was good. Yeah. They only talked upside. Um, and that was when – so then after that happened, after the GFC hit and that, I just pulled out. Once my shares went up to parity, back to what I'd paid for them, I just got out because I'm like, I know nothing about this. If I kept my shares, look what I had for the next 15 years and up until what I am now, it would have tripled it tripled in value yeah. but because I was so naive. I was like, I don't know anything about this. I'm just pulling it all out. I'm just going to invest in my, yeah. in my home and that's really about it and put it in the bank. I've missed out on significant, significant growth because of my not, not having the knowledge. Yeah, but, but still good and a good clarity of mind. Um, whilst you're playing, you can't, you, you know, it's not a very balanced lifestyle. Is it being mm. a high performance cricketer or sportsman you, mm. you've got to concentrate and and we you feel very busy eh? mm. but when you when you finish you look back at all the spare time you had oh. <laughs> and you know yep. you just didn't want to erode your focus for next week mm. or tomorrow and and so so you don't want to go educate there's you feel as if there's not that much time to educate yourself because it'll lead away at your performance you know you, you, what you should be focusing on so so yeah but just just be engaged and um, set up a 
a little more regular contact with some advisors, I, I reckon, um, to, to build your understanding and trust with them. But, yeah, when, when, a, when an advisor moves or disappears on you, it's, mm. it's very, very stressful. Yep, it's, <laughs> it is. Hills, as an ex-cricketer, you are very much an entrepreneur with um, being involved in a number of startups. It's not just, it's not just one or two, whether it's um, the gloves off apparel, um, you know, getting involved and buying into the Greg Chapel Cricket Center, Adrenaline Sports Bar, which gosh, I had some incredible times there um, yeah. in my Queensland days, um, as well as a um, hand wash cafe, just to name a few, which is really like for me, totally inspirational because that's what I'm, you know, want to move, what I want to move into. So what specific lessons have you learned from being involved in or investing in businesses, especially when things didn't turn out exactly as you had, had envisioned? Yeah. Um, well, I think why did I do that? Why have mm. I gone that way and mm. got involved in stuff was that I, throughout my playing days, I was always corporately involved. So mm. I, I did promotional work with Powers Brewing when they're the only they're the only company that's taken the Queensland Cricket sponsorship of Forex in the history of yes, of sponsorship, you know, they had it for three mm. years, and I became involved um, individually on a contract with Powers, um, and then Forex came back into Queensland Cricket. Um, I stayed with Powers, and Carlton United bought out Powers, and they took Wally Lewis and I on with Carlton United. So from mm. Powers, so. I got known to a lot of people and I hung out with uh, publicans and big mm-hmm. and businessmen, people who yeah. grew small businesses into big taverns and then sold them. And I got to hear all those stories. And the other company I worked with for 20 to a little more than 20 years was Toyota. So you get to yes. hang out with the dealers, you know, mm. and then the corporate side of Toyota and that, they were extremely good to me and looked after me extremely well. So mm. I think that's why I, I had an interest mm. in business mm-hmm. and then I was known to a lot of people mm-hmm. by, by one, of, one of the things that cricketers uh, undersell and underplay is being known to others. They, we all think they all know us, but mm. really the head of a company doesn't even, wouldn't have a clue what you like or how good you could be for their company or departments of their company. Um, so when you're out and about at functions and, you know, don't drag your bum to a function. Go to a function and show someone in the room what you're capable of, you know, and what, what mm. your personality is and what type of person you are. And through all those forums of corporate work that I did and functions and I was able to do that, I reckon. Um, mm. So I was known to people and, for example, that's when they then know they're confident to approach you, would you like to come into this venture? Mm. Um, and And... That's how it. That's how it happens, I reckon. Um, and Chris Johns, uh, rugby league player, mm-hmm. that I knew when we worked for Powers. He was <laughs> playing for the Broncos, working for Powers, mm. and I was working for Powers as a Queensland cricketer. And <clears throat> twenty, that was nineteen eighty-eight. Fifteen years later, he comes to me with a, um, you know, a business plan to get into car washing. <laughs> And that, that's how that happened, you know, just mm. by being known to the footballers in our day. Mm. Um, they, they'd go, right, I, I, know, I know Johnsy was probably thinking, well, Hills has just finished cricket, he'll have a heap of money. We'll go and get that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, we, we were mates all the way through. So, uh, um, so, yeah, I reckon get known to people. Mm. 
and um, be be trustworthy. Do what you say. And mm. the best, one of the best things Warney is good at is when a really high net worth person, like a, a Kerry Packer, mm. sit, invites you to something or says, give me a ring or come over to the box at the Sydney Creek Ground. They, they mean it. Mm. Warney would always go or he'd always ring Kerry mm. because Kerry's – if Warney had an understanding that this bloke doesn't say that lightly. If he says it, he wants me to ring him. Mm. And don't shy away from it. If, if someone says, yeah, give us a ring, we'll catch up about this, this or this, do it. You know, mm. that's what I'd tell a sportsman, just do it. And uh, yep. fill your time in talking to those types as well. It doesn't mm. hurt. Yeah, that's great advice. But you might you might learn something. Yeah. But why I'm saying to do it is mm. they learn about you. <laughs> they, they, they then know what you're like. Mm. and uh, you're a chance of opening your life up to other opportunities. And when you're looking at these business um, plans that are um, being put to you as well and, and as you're filling out this business model, is it, do you have a specific criteria that you're really looking for from, from your previous experiences? You'll never see a bad business plan, Wada. <laughs> yeah, so that's true. Be mindful of that. <laughs> what, what, Johnsy, yeah. what Johnsy and Kevin Walters showed me in 2004 Yep. We still haven't hit those figures. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you have to then, uh, you know, justify any decision you're going to make. Yep. It's made on your feeling and you've got to be able to justify to yourself that mm. I think this thing can work, you know, yep. and have some good reasons why you think that. And mm. then when, if it doesn't work, you're okay. You, you made it, mm. but you made a decision based on, you know, this, these, this information that you back, you thought it would work, and it hasn't. So bad luck. It's not mm. a not a bad decision. It was a. It just uh, the decision was right and it was justifiable. It just hasn't worked. Mm. But um, so really, look at. <clears throat> oh, I don't really know. I'm not very business orientated, and and figures. I've learned to pick holes in a business and where we're mm. a bit heavy or where we we should spend a bit more or we've got to cut back. Um, maybe, um, but yeah. not not. Uh, extremely strategic. I've learned so much from Chris Johns. Okay, um, he liaised. Uh, he he was instrumental in Super League in rugby league. So he retired from rugby yeah. league in 1994. He then liaised for News Limited in signing players. Probably coming up with the concept of Super League, then signing players to play Super League, and in return for that, he got to found the Melbourne Storm as the first CEO. That's right, and so what? And they won a premiership in two years. I think mm. it was two years. So, so uh, he's extremely clever, uh, strategic thinker, and big picture thinker. Mm. And I'm I'm frilly and fine detail. So yep. we go to we go well together. You know, mm. I'll tidy up his loose ends easy, and and we'll push on uh, and deal and create relationships. Mm. Um, uh, with some really big thinking as well as fine delivery. So. Um, it's been a good combination. I've learned most of what I know about business from Johnsy. So it's so it's really understanding how important that combination of skill set is, as you said with Chris, with Chris Johns, yeah. knowing what his is and knowing what yours are to be able to bring that like a perfect storm together. Yeah, and both of us knew we but we both worked with Johnsy, you know, yeah, Mozzie, that's uh, true. Um, <laughs> Phil Johnsy. So he worked yeah. for the Broncos and he yeah. did he cricket cricket work, and we all sort of had a have an understanding of what type of personality we are and then what combinations of personalities a team needs. You know, you need flair and, and intuitive players and, 
and then you need others that have to plan and, and keep the structure. Um, so, so yeah, combinations are, are really important. So you can't have everyone all the same. And yeah. Johnsy's great knowledge was, you know, the type of worker we try to, we have to attract. And, and we've got 250 staff. <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they've got a very hard job. <laughs> it's really hard. So, yeah. They're not hot, the highest level of person. Yeah. But they've got real good qualities. He's very aware of the qualities they do have and he mm. knows that you can't get everything in everyone. Mm. So let's compensate for, with that with that group with some, some of these types, you know, and, and get mm. teams functioning together. We, we have very – I don't know of one blow-up we've had in, staff, in a staff, so in big staff teams. So we've been really um, fortunate and successful in building teams that we quite like. Mm. And, and using both of your skills in team environments to be able to understand what works, yeah, and what doesn't work. We can probably understand it, but we're not as diligent as applying uh, to business all the qualities that we learned as sportsmen, professional mm. sportsmen. Mm. We don't sort of get in there in business and, and apply ourselves as well as we probably can. Mm. It, it, it's, the, the thing you notice about business is it never stops. So in sport, it, the shutters come down after the fifth day and then you might have a whole week. You might have a whole week to prepare for the next one, get, get over that one and then prepare for the next one. Here's one thing that I've realised in my early 20s is that life is all about how well you bounce back from the setbacks that life always throws at you. So do you have a mantra or a saying in your life that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenges that life always throws at you? I think preparation... And information is key to enabling you to work your way through a setback. Yeah, and, and then just just strategize. Like work hard. I mean, really work hard then. If, if you're in the middle of a setback, you've got to <clears throat> mm, yeah, before the setback, you shouldn't have everything all on the line. Mm. You know, you've got to be diversified. You can't have a setback that could knock you, all, knock you out. Um, yep. So if you... You know, if you can get yourself into a position where you are diversified and you'll cope and, you know, your cash levels are good and your family's well set up, and, you know, then it, it's not going to be as big a setback. But um, work hard towards that diversification mm. and security um, so that a setback is just part of what you've got. Yeah. Um, and if you do happen to sort of realise, oh, geez, I'm a bit exposed here. If this doesn't go that well, um, you know, my, my house is in this <laughs> my, mm. my, uh, <clears throat> and I won't have a whole lot if this doesn't go great. So mm. so try not to get in that position. But if you are in that position, work hard, really work hard, form really strong relationships with people in that venture um, and make it make it work, you know. Mm. Don't sit back and hope it works. Get in like you have to in sport and, mm. and make it work um, and, and work as best you can in it because, mm. shit, there's a lot, of the, a lot on the line. You know, it's worth it. It's yep. worth getting this one right so that I never feel this exposure again. You've met and been around some of the most successful people in the world. Um, who has inspired you the most and why? I'm, I'm not a big one for inspiration, okay. I, I'd say. So there's cricket inspiration. Um, of course, my heroes were Rod Marsh and Greg Chappell. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it was more of a dream rather than inspiration. I didn't take much specific out of it. Um, although when I got to practice with Rod Marsh, I thought he loved me and and um, and one day he'd, he'd had a practice session with me and he told told me I had to slow Bobby Simpson down. He's, he's wrong-footing you too much when he's hitting catches to you. Mm. Slow him down and get some rhythm, right? And, mm. and so one night we had great win against the West Indies in a day nighter in Melbourne and he came into the bar. I said, Bacchus, I was calling him Bacchus. And he said, get over here. You're wasting my time, you little son. <laughs> like I saw you practice again before the, before the game started and he's yeah. doing it again to you. You're going to waste my time. I'm not going to talk to you. Oh, no, jeez, right, eh? So that was my hero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, oh, uh, you know, and now I'm nothing. Yeah, there's no real inspiration, but, you know, just favourites. You get yeah. to read on how they did it. And yeah. They face the impossible at times and still back themselves and kept going and cracked it, you know, whether it be yeah. Elton John or, uh, you know, a muso or is it someone in business who's now developed it's just a hundred million dollar thing from nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How the hell do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, there's no no one that I took great inspiration for or have yet. Anyway. Well, Hills, this has been really special to have had you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Um, I'm so incredibly grateful, as well as everyone else who grew up idolising you too, to hear all of these amazing insights that we all can learn from for the future. Thanks so much for sharing all of these experiences with us and we are that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the greats of world cricket. Thank you, mate. Oh, thanks, Lotto. That's a good tribute, mate. Yeah, you're, you're more than welcome and uh, I love what you're doing with thanks, this, mate. mate. Well done. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.